Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome. We're so glad to have you with us here this evening on Ask Herbal Health Expert Susan Weed, a two-hour radio show each Tuesday night. Herbal medicine is people's medicine, simple, safe, effective. Please bring your curiosity and health questions. Susan will enlighten, surprise, and delight you. I know most of you know Susan Weed already. She's my mom, so I know her. But for those of you who have not yet met Susan, I'd like to share, she is the author of the Wise Woman Herbal Series, wonderful books on women's health and herbal medicine, including Wise Woman Herbal for the Childbearing Year, Breast Cancer Breast Health! Exclamation Point, The Wise Woman Way, Healing Wise, The Wise Woman Herbal, New Menopausal Years, The Wise Woman Way, down there, sexual and reproductive health, the wise woman way. And abundantly well, seven medicines, the wise woman way. The newest book in the wise woman herbal series. So exciting. In addition to being the editor at Ashtree Publishing and writing her books, Susan is the director of the Wise Woman Center in Woodstock, New York. The Wise Woman Center is open to the public on appointment-only basis. She offers weekend workshops, intensives, and apprenticeships throughout the season. Susan is also available to you online via wisewomanmentor.com. There you can go and view her weekly e-zine. You can subscribe to receive a notification via email each week, or you could join her mentorship program. Susan also offers distance learning correspondence courses and online courses at thewisewomanschool.com. Join us there for colorful, instructive, easy video courses, including Easy Herbal Medicine with Susan Weed, Happy Needs, a cancer diagnosis, adaptogens for long life, and abundantly well companion course, wisewomanschool.com. You can also just go to her website, susanweed.com, where you will find thousands of pages online with recipes, articles, art features, and so much more. Well, for now, let's see what Susan has to share with us this evening. Thank you, and welcome, Susan. Thank you so much, Justine, and welcome, Sarah Ellen. And our thanks to everybody who got whatever was going on last week straightened out, and our apologies to everybody that the show ended after 15 minutes. We were as surprised as you all were. But uh, I think we are on target for a two-hour show tonight, and so we'll 
be Sarah Ellen and I usually talk for about 15 minutes. Then I answer questions until 9 o'clock. And at 9 o'clock tonight, we are going to be talking with Forrest Rivers. I went to school with a boy named Hunter Fisher. And I'm sure that Forrest Rivers has the same problem that Hunter Fisher did. The teachers could never figure out which one was his first name. Forrest Rivers is a writer, a teacher, and a speaker who lives both in the beautiful Blue Ridge Mountains of North Carolina and in the Colorado Rockies. He has had a transformative experience that he has written about, Humanity's Spiritual Awakening, and he's going to be talking to us about his life and his book tonight at 9 o'clock. Hey, Sarah Ellen, what have you been doing this week? Oh, wow. We actually have had a fun week. We added a new member to the household um, and adopted a dog, young dog. So we've been getting him adjusted to life at our place. And he's a hound dog, so we've been getting adjusted to all of his fun sounds. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> What's the new dog's name? Well, he came with the name Benson, which is okay. Benson. But I think yeah, yeah, Benson. But we're kind of toying with switching the vowel and naming him Bunsen. Um, Benson. So we'll <laughs> it's funny because that is what I first thought you said was Bunsen. Yeah, kind of when we say it and the louder we say it, it almost sounds either like Bunsen or it Benson. Does, yeah. So, yeah, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. yeah. So, and then I looked up the history of the name, which is actually pretty interesting. Oh. The name Bunsen, other than Bunsen Burner and the German who came up with that for his work. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But it also. Okay, let me. All right. One, okay. Oh. Girls, ladies, blog talk time. Good. You can go in the kitchen and wash your hands. I always try to figure out how to get in the house without touching the door when I need to wash my hands. It's going this way to the kitchen, right? Here, upstairs, and in the door. Okay, I had a wonderful morning with the apprentices. Excuse me. You know, apprentices. <laughs> Want to say hi? Hello. Hello, I'm Michelle and Shayla. Hi. Michelle and Shayla are here. And uh, we had a great morning together, and Justine videotaped it. I think we're going to put that videotape up at the mentor site, the new, expanded, and beautiful mentor site, where all kinds of special things will be. And um, then, as usual, on Tuesday, I have things that I do on Tuesday, including a walk with white and a singing lesson, and a few, like, things that I pick up or drop off. And when I got home, it was as though they hadn't heard a word I'd said. <laughs> oh. Uh-huh. And I was, like, torn between tears and rage at what had gone on in my absence. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So I what finally a figured out what I want was for them just to put everything back the way it was. I had been growing squashes from seed, and those squashes have outgrown their pots, and they needed to be transplanted up. And both of these women said at Talking Stick this morning that they were complete novice gardeners that had absolutely no idea about gardening and what to do, and yet they took all of my squash plants and transplanted them. 
Oh, no. <laughs> right. In the hot sun and didn't water them. Oh, no. So let me repeat oh. to you what I told them. When you transplant a plant, you can see the roots. What you can't see are the root hairs. And the root hairs are actually where nutrient and water uptake occurs on the plant. And when you transplant a plant, you disturb those root hairs and you disturb their connection to the soil and you have to water the plant immediately upon transplanting it to get fine soil washed down up against the root hairs so that the plant can continue to live well. Hmm. Wow. Transplanting in general is one of the most shocking things that you can do to a plant. And I always spend a lot of time preparing the plants for transplanting. Mm. <clears throat> so I go to the plants and I talk to the plants and I tell the plants what I'm going to do. I don't just suddenly pick them up and put them in some other place because I personally consider that really rude. Like if you were suddenly out of your house and put someplace else without anybody even telling you it was going to happen. So I, you know, I believe that the plants are intelligent and conscious and cognizant. And so I let them know that a big thing is going to happen, that they're going to be transplanted. And I do my best to listen in to them. I imagine in my mind how I'm going to transplant them, if I'm going to put them in a bigger pot, if I'm going to put them somewhere else. And I do my best to listen to the plant in case I'm doing something the plant doesn't want. Right? Just because I think, oh, I want to transplant this plant, doesn't mean the plant wants that. Right. I think I'm being right. to the plant. I see the plant. Here's the squash I'm growing. It's in like a four-inch square thing. And I'm seeing little roots coming through the bottom. So that says to me, this plant has filled up the space in this pot with its roots, and it would like more space. And that's probably true, but I still think I should check in with the plant because, again, to me, it's about relationship, right? Right, right. It's not about my power over, I'm going to do this to you. I'm going to, you know, just use you without forming a relationship with you. I, we had a wonderful example of this um, the goat whose kids lived, and of course those kids have been running with her, has been royal pain on the milk stand. Mm -hmm. She kicks. She acts like a acrobat. We nominated her for circus goat. She squats. Yeah. She lays down on the milk stand and the milk bucket. <laughs> Just, right. So I was alone with the goats this weekend. And I said to her, I really need you to be a milk goat, Arishka Gall. I need for you to submit to me and be a milk goat and stand here while I milk you. What do you need? And the image that she put in my mind led me to understand that she was unhappy that the kids were being locked in her stall with her at night and it was time to get them out of there. And I did, and the next morning she stood there like a charm for me to milk. Oh, 
lovely. Oh, Arisagal. This is about relationships, right? Yeah. In relationships, we put out what we want. Hi, I want you to stand here like a milk goat. What do you want? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I do my best to listen up. I'm sitting here wondering and hoping that the pots that I had that I started seeds in today haven't been used in some way because, of course, I don't mark them when I start seeds because I don't think anybody else is going to be around my stuff and emptying or moving things around. So I don't really know what happened to the seeds that I started today either because everything was kind of moved around from where I had it. So it was a lot for me to come home to. And if uh-huh. you hear me munching, it's because I found found it difficult to eat while I was that upset. So I just put my food on my plate. And I figured while people were telling me what's up with them, I will eat my dinner, which is a beautiful dinner of organic broccoli from our CSA, asparagus for 2 bucks a pound from the local supermarket, and some salmon salad on a piece of whole wheat bread, toasted whole wheat bread, with a wonderful salad that the apprentices made. And I see garlic mustard in their salad, and it's very nicely torn up. And I see some shiso, which is julienned into little stripes. It looks so nice. And there's some little tops of wild oregano in here. I know that we talked about fifing ivy. I don't see it in the salad that I took, but it might be in the salad, just not in the part that I picked up. So, are there any people who want to ask questions so I can eat my dinner? Uh, Yeah, absolutely. It sounds like such a delicious dinner as well. Uh, And we have two people that have pressed one to let us know that they have a question or two or maybe more for you. And there are lots more people. First question is calling from the 919 area code, from the 919. Hello, good evening. Hi. What's Thank up you with you tonight? Speaking. Oh, I'm out here. I'm listening to you talking about your garden and your plants, and I'm out here doing a late uh, evening sweep of the summer squashes and the zucchini and the cucumbers. And... Um, just really appreciating your way of working with the plants and wonderful, um, wonderful yeah. cucurbits. We think that the cucurbit was the first domesticated plant, not for oh. food but the gourd. Ah, oh, yeah. For all, what's really important is something to carry things in. Yes, I think about that all the time. <laughs> I think about what were the first, like, how did we? carry things and bring them to different places and especially yeah that's so cool beautiful and that I guess would have been on the African continent exactly oh lovely yay well I'll I'll think of that when I'm when I'm out here admiring all of these beauties um mm-hmm. I wanted to uh to share with you last week um, you had mentioned just wanting to hear people's um, successes and I wanted to share with you one that has to do with you 
and everything that, that I, you know, all of the wisdom that I've received from you listening to you every week for, I think it's been like five years that I've, I, I've been listening to you weekly. And, um, so I, Justine was over this morning. She said something about that. I've been doing blog talk for four or five years. I said, no, we started it when Monica Jean was born and she's now 13. Yeah, no, I know you've been doing it a lot longer. That's so amazing, though. I love that. I mean, that would have been pre-podcast days. Right. That's, yeah, that's primarily because how I... She is, like, so brilliant and so right on. Right Between her Pisces stuff and my Aquarius ability to see the future, we got it. <laughs> oh wow! Is that an Aquarian thing to see the future? Of course, of course. Oh, you know what? I'm not. It's not yeah, that we want on. you to do it our way. It's just that everybody will be happier if you do it our way. <laughs> That's so sweet. I have a Pisces son and an Aquarian son, so um, two two children of those two um, those two signs. <laughs> so that is that. That'll be nice for me to think about when I think about the two of them. I can definitely see that Aquarian side of, of my older one. <laughs> and tell me about your success besides the success of these two wonderful children. Yeah, well, so it has a lot to do with you. I was, I'm, I'm in community with a lot of um, uh, Latino um, immigrants here where, around where I live. And there's an organization that supports um, migrant farm workers in various ways, and they have a women's group. And the person who organizes the women's group asked me, because they knew I made tinctures and I grow a lot of medicinal herbs, and they, so they asked me to lead a workshop, just like a you know really simple workshop about making tinctures and teas, because they were interested in teas. So... I went and like led this workshop um, uh, with all like Spanish-speaking women from um, Central and well, all Central America, and um, and just shared so much of like everything that I've learned from you over the last five years, and it was just the most you know satisfying and like beautiful kind of sharing because we they shared a lot of what they knew from where they come from. And I shared with them um, about the plants that grow easily and well here and all of the medicines that I make and that they can make using these plants. And it was just really sweet and like a kind of like a dream come true for me. So I just wanted to share with you. Thank you so much for sharing that. That's wonderful. Now, you know, if you have an opportunity to be with them again, ask them about herbal baths because they do a lot of herbal baths in Central America. Yes. They'll have a lot to tell I you. And also ask them about numbers. Okay. Because okay. numbers and herbal baths. Yeah. The, the teachers that I know from Central America, the numbers are living presences for them. Hmm, okay. Like if they're going to do a bath, they will choose a certain number of herbs to use in that bath based on their relationship with that number. Mm. And there will be a certain number of leaves, which is a different number for each plant, again, based on the relationship that they have with the plant and with the numbers. 
It's kind of like you're trying to get together a couple of friends to do something. Oh, that's so sweet. Yeah, it's I will. Really ask. fascinating, and very, very different from a lot of what's done in northern herbal medicine. But okay. you're so right. And isn't it wonderful that herbal medicine is people's medicine? And it is so simple. And, yes. I, and I thank you for honoring me in that. And let's also honor the plants who have been your teachers. Yes, yes, totally, absolutely. I'm I think sure that they have. And I also know that you have guides. Mm. And that the more you make yourself available to hear the plants, the more you're available to hear from your guides and that they are helping you too. Oh, thank you. Yes, you that's are my... welcome. Continue on. Thank you. Yeah. Could, do, would you mind yes. if I ask one more question? Not at all. Okay. Um, so this is about motherwort. Motherwort is is definitely one of my main allies and one of my mother's main allies. I introduced her to motherwort tincture probably about a couple years ago. And so now she never leaves, it never leaves her side. So that makes me so happy. And so mine has flourished in my garden. Um, I had never, you know, I live in North Carolina and I've never seen it down here like growing wild. Um, but it's very happy in my garden where I planted it. And it's kind of, it's basically, I love it also just because of the bees, like the native bees and the honeybees just really love it. Um, and it's kind of, the flowers are basically done. And so I was curious if, do you cut it back when it's done flat? Like I, I've made a lot of tincture out of the flowering tops, like a, a few quarts. And, um, I was just curious about, I mean, in a lot of ways, a lot of the mints, like I'm always confused mm-hmm. if they benefit from cut, being cut back. Well, many of the mints are true perennials. Mm-hmm. Right. I have a, a mensa arvensa a field mint, which is a true perennial. It comes like year after year. It's probably been growing here for hundreds of years. <laughs> I have a patch of lemon balm. It comes back. I don't care how weedy that patch gets. That lemon balm is shouldering its way through, and it's sending its seeds out into the forest, and little forest clearings now have lemon balm in them. Yes, yes. But the catnip, if you don't cut it back, will only grow for two or three years, and then it gives up the ghost. Ah, Okay. But if you cut it back, you can get another year or two out of it. Now, it spreads so many seeds, if you let it spread seeds, that it's no big deal. That's basically what it wants to do, right? It wants to grow for two or three years, flower like crazy, spread a bunch of seeds, and then just like, come on vacation. Okay. If you want it to work for another year or two, cut it back. Same thing with the motherboard. Okay, or if okay. you haven't let it spread enough seeds, cut it back enough so that it will reflower and seed. Okay. No, it's definitely spreading a lot of seeds. <laughs> like, right. There's no way about it. And, you know, it's kind of a bother to let the dead stalks of motherwort stay around because they are ouchy. Yes, yes. 
They're shockingly sharp. Yeah. Shockingly sharp. Exactly the words. Yes. <laughs> you turn around and get tripped by them. It's like, what? <laughs> so I cut them back because of that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That that makes that makes sense. So I can I can um, you know, just kind of yeah, like you say, feel into what what will be most desired by the plants and um, but all of that really makes sense. And she's definitely spreading her seeds. So <laughs> there will definitely be more motherwort. No um, worries about motherwort in the future. Good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, wonderful. Well, thank you so much. I'm going to finish up all my cucumbers, and I hope you have a beautiful night, and thank you for everything that you do for all of us. Great blessings. Good night. Good night. Okay, we have three callers that have pressed one to let us know that they have a question, and the next caller is calling from the 812 area code. From the 812, you're live with Susan. Hey, Susan. Hi. Hi there. Um, I just have two questions. Pretty simple. Okay. Uh, at least I think. So. <laughs> um, well, the first one is about tinturing. Um, I'm aware that the the general rule is that um, the herbs that are being tinctured need to be fresh. Um, but there are exceptions to that rule, uh, which I learned about when I learned it's about... Not, it's not to... really so much a rule. Okay. Let me see if I can lay this out a little bit with more complexity. Okay. When we're making a tincture, we're engaging a process called osmosis. And osmosis is the design of the liquids on either side of a semi-permeable membrane to be fully saturated. Okay. The semi-permeable membrane is the wall, cell wall of the plant. So on one side of that cell wall are the plant constituents, what's inside the cell of the plant. And on mm-hmm. the other side of that is something else water or honey or vinegar or oil or alcohol. Okay. The plant is mostly water. So when you take a fresh plant and put it in water, nothing much happens, right? Mm Mm-hmm. There's not an osmotic pull there. Mm. If you heat the water... You can mechanically break down the cell wall and get some of the stuff out of the plant. But that's why we use dried plants and hot water because the drying breaks the cell wall and then the hot water extracts it. But when we're using alcohol, we don't have to use heat because alcohol itself starts to set up this osmotic process. The rule, if there's a rule... Mm -hmm. is that you use dried, powdered plants and 198-proof alcohol. And you pour the alcohol through the dried, powdered plant in a funnel. 
This process preferentially removes and concentrates into your tincture the most poisonous parts of the plant. Mm. Because the plant is dry, so this cell wall is already broken, so we don't have to worry about osmosis. We're just going to leach the stuff out. And the alkaloids and glycosides, the volatile oils, the resins, the parts of the plant that are potent and strong and medicinal Mm -hmm. are going to be leached out by pouring high-proof alcohol over the dried powdered plant material. But I find those words to be very male-centric. And so I'm interested in the subtlety of plants. I'm not trying to make a drug or a faux drug or a drug with a green coat on. I'm trying to make an herbal Mm. remedy. I'm an herbalist. I like working with plants. Mm. And so in that relationship, I saw that when I used high-proof alcohol, that it fried the plant and that it made a harsh Mm -hmm. tincture that like rang in my body in a way that was uncomfortable to me. Mm. And when I used 100-proof vodka, which is 50% water and 50% alcohol, the plants seem to stay alive in the tincture. They seem to have their songs with them, and the tincture sang in my body. Mm. And of course, as you know, my fellow herbalists at first made fun of me. They say, "Well, your echinacea tincture couldn't work because you're not using, you know, enough alcohol to get the, the alkaloids out of it." Until science found that half of the alkaloids are water soluble and half are alcohol soluble. They were only getting the alcohol ones, but I was getting both alcohol and the water soluble ones because I was using hundred proof vodka. Mm. So. It's not so much a rule as, wow, look at this special way that we can make tinctures. We can take the fresh plant, we can put 100-proof vodka over it, and we can have a tincture that is not just simple and effective, easy to make, but it's alive and it's singing. It's not Mm. trying to be a drug. It's being itself. It's being a plant. Mm-hmm. 80 proof vodka is easier to buy, but 80 proof vodka is 40% alcohol and 60% water. Now remember, the plants like us are mostly water. We usually say 75% water. That's going to vary, of course, depending on what part of the plant and how rainy the year is. But we just mm-hmm. use it as a kind of rough. So if there's 75% water in the plant, 60% water in the alcohol, you're not going to get a very strong tug between those two things, right? Those two solutions are already close enough. Mm-hmm. So that's why the 80% doesn't work. People say, well, I'll just use more of the tincture. But you didn't really extract what you needed to initially, so using more isn't going to do it. Mm. Whereas 100 proof, that's 50 as compared to 75. Now you've got enough to really get osmosis, pulling stuff out of the plant and into the alcohol. And of course, I do let it sit fresh plants for six weeks. Now, there are some dried plants that I like that I can't get. There's some plants that I like that I can't get, so I use them dried. But that is almost exclusively roots and berries. 
There's okay. so much elder flowering right now, but I will not see a single elder berry because we have wonderful birds around us who love to eat them. <laughs> so I buy dried elderberries, and I make my tincture from dried elderberry. If you've been listening mm. to the show, you know that Eagle Song gave me a hawthorn tree about mm, four or five years ago, and we're hoping next year it might flower and I might get some hawthorns. Meanwhile, I buy them, and I make mm. my tincture with dried I grow some Echinacea purpurea, like most people, but I don't really think that the tincture of purpurea is good enough. I like the tincture of Augustifolia. It's hard to grow. So I buy it dried, and I make tincture from that. But for me, when I'm making a tincture from a dried plant, that tincture's really not ready to use until a year has passed. Ah, I see. Now, you could go ahead and use it after six weeks. I'm not saying it'll be ineffective, but if you just take off what you need to use, if you're making it for use in six weeks, and then let it sit and taste it now and then, Mm -hmm. you'll see what I mean. And do remember that you have to shake your tinctures with dried plant material because you're going to fill your jar about a third full of dried plant material and then all the way to the top with your menstruum with your alcohol and the plant material because it's dried is going to absorb some water because it wants to get back to 75% water and it's going to swell up when it does that Mm -hmm. and so the outer part of the plant material will get wet and the inner part will stay dry so you have to shake it so that it can all actually get wetted you don't have to do that with fresh plant material Mm, okay you just let it sit for the six weeks. You just let it sit yeah. for six weeks and bing, bang, you're done. Okay. You can let it sit longer. There's not a problem. People said to me, oh, does all this stuff go back in the plant? No. Osmosis does not work that way. Once the two <laughs> solutions are equal, that's where they stay is equal. Okay. So your pictures are good. Well, actually, I had a friend who... Got a house in Philadelphia, went up into the attic, and found that a pharmacist had lived there 200 years ago, and there were still bottles of tinctures up there. Oh, wow. They were in um, glass apothecary jars with a glass-on-glass closure. You've seen those, right? Um, glass-on-glass closure. Like a glass bottle with a glass stopper. Oh, on the top of it. Right. If they'd been in, like, bottles with rubber droppers, they would have evaporated because the alcohol evaporates through the rubber pretty quickly, actually. Uh, But here she had, you know, these 200-year-old tinctures, and they were pretty good. Oh, they still working. Yeah, Yeah, because they'd been stored, you know, in a dark place. And fortunately, Mm -hmm. it was in a cool corner of the attic. It wasn't, you know, attics can get real hot, and that would have degraded them. Yes. Yeah, and um, actually somebody took them into the lab and tested them and could actually say which components were still there. Of course, other minerals were, were there, although there's not much minerals in a tincture. And, mm. um, you know, some of the hormonal parts weren't there anymore. Um, but it mm. was very interesting, the astringent parts, you know, the kind of heavier stuff. It hangs around. Oh. Okay. Does that open okay. it up for you? Absolutely. Just to just to make sure I understand. So, um, the like you said, it's not a rule to use fresh plants. It's just that you found that the fresh plant um, seems to remain itself 
um, when you tincture it specifically using 100 proof vodka. So you can, yes. instead of, as opposed to, um, I guess, what's the word, you know, just overdoing it with too high proof because it's not enough water content. And so too high the, proof, the too high proof makes uh-huh. the strongest osmosis. Oh, okay. The 198 okay. proof is used to draw out the strongest, most potent medicines because there's no water in it. So it's only osmosis that has to work really hard and pull everything out to get an equal solution on both sides. I see. Okay, so... If it's I see, I 75 see, on one side and 50 on the other side, then we only have to take... Twelve and a half percent from one side to the other to get them equal. Yes. Right. Yes. But if if it's ninety eight on one side and seventy eight on the other side, then we have to take a lot more. Um, Actually, hundred ninety eight because it's ninety nine percent alcohol. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Because right. I can I can kind of visualize it in my head. Especially the yeah. part that you mentioned about the water. The water content right. of the plant is about half inside the cell membrane. Yes. Okay, and actually it doesn't sense. have a membrane. It has a wall. That's why we can make furniture okay. out of plants. Humans okay. have membrane. Plants have walls. That's why nothing on this planet eats raw plants because of cell walls. Right. I see. Because it won't, it, it won't be digested. Exactly. Or it won't be... Yeah. You, okay. It's very, very difficult to break down cell walls. Matter of fact, you can drive a truck on a lawn, and basically the grass just springs back up, right? Right. <laughs> yes. I see. Okay. okay. That, yes, that really helps. The, the, the other thing I just wanted to go over was you, you were saying when you, whenever you do use dried um, roots, uh, dried herbs to tincture, you use you stick with the root or the berry, and yeah. you let it tincture for longer. Yes, a lot longer. A lot longer. Okay. Okay. Um, thank you. Okay, so then um, my second question. Yeah. Second I, I, actively, question. I actively use hawthorn. I take hawthorn okay. tincture on a daily basis, so every three months I put up mm-hmm. a quart of hawthorn so that I always have Hawthorne tincture that's a year old that I can take. Mm, okay. Clever. Okay, I see. And, uh, okay, thank you. Thank you. That really helps me a lot. And um, I was, okay, my next question. So I actually have one more question, and I was going to hand it over to my partner who has two more for you. Okay. Um, so my second one has to do with um, seasonal allergies or allergies that you would just get from some from someone's pet, you know, someone's cat or something. Um, I was wondering, I was looking into what I could, like, because uh, my seasonal allergies this year have been kind of like, you know, really active. And um, right now it's all good now, but... Um, Yes, the I, grasses have finally quit. Okay. I okay. don't so think I have ever seen so much grass pollen in my life. 
Right. Okay, I see. So it's not, it, was, it, was it was an extraordinary <laughs> year for grass pollen. Wow, okay. All of us who what, aren't what? allergic were sneezing and coughing and spitting, okay? There was so much pollen in the air. Mm. Yeah, because I don't it, – it's usually not that bad, I noticed. Um, and this year it was. What caused it was. pollen to be so bad? Or is that like so, it, no, it's just been perfect weather conditions for the grasses. Okay. And when we when I think about allergies, I think what are people allergic to? Pollen, that's protein. Cat dander, okay. dog dander, that's protein. Soy, shellfish, peanuts, proteins, proteins, proteins. And protein mm. is the building block of life, yes? Yes. So I say that there's only one allergy and that's an allergy to life. Mm. That's yeah, and I ha- I believe, um, it's my opinion, that each one of us has both a soul force and a life force. And that at mm. birth, soul force can get the wrong idea and think it's not wanted. And mm. say to the life force, let's leave. Now, the life force has only this body. The life force starts with conception and ends with death. Bingo. That's it. Mm-hmm. The soul force, of course, is not limited in any way at all. So the soul force is, oh, just give it another body. But the life force is, mm, this is the only body I have. Mm-hmm. And the result of that argument, which continues on throughout your life, is allergies. Oh. So it is possible to sit down and to call forth your soul and say, yo. Would you back off and leave me alone? (laughs) Whether you feel wanted or not, it's my life. And you, timeless, formless being, just chill. (laughs) Thank you for that, actually. I would have never come upon that on my own, probably. (laughs) I I, I get the feeling that it's resonating somewhere within you. Mm. <laughs> I I appreciate that very much. Yeah. And I, I often yeah. say it doesn't have to be that your mother didn't want you. The soul force is pretty stupid and it yeah. can pick up you pick up on a you know, say your mother goes, Oh, oh, this is killing me Okay, well now the soul force is gonna decide I'm killing I'm killing my mother, I shouldn't be here. Mm. Well, that's not what really means is like the people who say, oh, I've been dying to meet you. They don't really mean they've been dying to meet me, do they? I much prefer people say, oh, I've been living to meet you. That seems a little mm, jollier. But (laughs) it's a bigger speech. Yes. (laughs) I try to be just a little smarter than myself. (laughs) I personally love that. I love love words and I love those figures of speech. They're so... Yeah, so fun yeah. when you pretend to make the middle. <laughs> All okay. right. Time well, for your partner? Yes. Okay, good. Um, and drink your okay. nettle infusion. Yes, nettle infusion, that's right. Okay, that's Yay, right. Yeah, nettle right. infusion. So, okay. Just keep Okay, keep with the infusion. Okay. I was gonna You're ask welcome. About, I was going to ask about uh, tinctures that you would recommend for this sort of thing um, besides oh. ultra root. Well, if it's bothering you, make a tincture of it and take a drop in a glass of water. Okay, what am I doing? What's bothering you? 
Cat dander? Make a tincture of it. What's bothering you? Grass pollen? Make a tincture of it. Then use one drop of your tincture in a glass of water as a remedy against your allergies. Thank you so much. You're welcome. (laughs) Okay, here she is. Okay. Hi, Susan. Hi. Okay, so the the first question I have is about Elecampane and how to use it if I'm to get uh, to have symptoms showing that are lung related. I read that Elecampane maybe needs to be used more frequently than I might have imagined. So maybe if you could just say, you know, how to use Elecampane. Are you growing Elecampane? I am not. So I'm thinking if I bought the tincture from Catskill, how frequently would I really need to be taking it in order for it to help me? To help you what? Overcome lung respiratory symptoms. Okay. I will keep pursuing. If you don't want to tell me what the symptoms are, that's okay. Coughing, coughing, difficulty breathing. All right. So... All of the time you are call you have a chronic cough? No. No. Um, just not all of the time. It's like if there are new symptoms or like coughing, more difficulty breathing, but nothing severe. So potentially this could be an allergy as well, but just how, how do you... It sounds more sure like an allergy. Happen? It comes okay. and goes? Yes. It's not like you wake up every morning and cough for 15 minutes. No. It's not like you cough until you pass out. This is, it's more, it's more of like a preemptive question, like as a, if it were to be the case that I. Ella campaign is not used preemptively. Okay. Okay. You want something to help tonify your lungs, it would be mullen. Okay. Infusion. Mullen milk specifically, right? You make the mullen infusion, an ounce of dried mullen to a quart of water, let it steep overnight, strain it through some cloth. It will stain the cloth. It will never be a nice cloth again. And then mix that infusion half and half with milk, cold or hot. And if you like spices, like cinnamon and cloves, you can make mullen milk chai, right? Yes. Okay. All right. And that that you'll make a quart of mullen and add a quart of milk. So that's two quarts, and if you drink a cup a day, that's enough for a week. Okay, and that's like a, to, to use, not maybe not as a preventative, but to make your lungs in better shape? That I believe that mullen carries the original message to the lungs. You know that game telephone that we play? Yes. Where... Yeah, right. I say your mother's new bandana. And by the time it gets to the end of the row, it's yo mama lose bananas. (laughs) So I think the same thing happens when cells replicate. And that Mullen goes back and says, listen, everybody, it's your mother's blue bandana. It has nothing to do with bananas. Okay. I think I know what you're saying. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, the last, last and final one we, we have for you, and this is this question's a little bit different, but I just want your input. I'm having trouble singing, like just getting my voice out, uh, projecting my voice. For a lot, a lot of time, I've had more of a quiet voice, and I wonder if you have, yeah, what you would say about getting my voice out in a singing capacity. 
singing is emotional speaking. Okay. I'm speaking. I'm speaking. I'm speaking. (laughs) Sure. Yes. Right. So when we sing, we feel. True. And it can be more or less difficult to experience or express feelings when we are in the presence of others. I see. Hmm. How often do you sing alone? Well, whenever I sing, it's usually alone. Not every day. And you have trouble singing. You have trouble singing alone. I have much less trouble singing alone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but it can be so fun to sing with other people, you know, like it's something I want yes. to do. I don't consider myself a generally shy person. It just when it comes to singing, it's like my voice doesn't really come out. Your emotions don't really come out. I see. Okay. I see what you're saying. And that's okay. You may not feel safe with those people. Interesting. Because we don't sing about um, everything's going all right, hooray. (laughs) (laughs) We sing, I can't believe that happened to me! (laughs) Right? Right, yes. Exactly, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. You find exactly how you are. You perceive that you would like to be different. That's fine to perceive that, but you may not be different. It may be that that's how you are and that's okay. Okay. Cool. What? So you don't really have to there's, there's no perfect way to be. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And the more you see yourself, I think the clearer it will be what situations with others you're willing to sing in. I see. Interesting. Okay, cool. Thanks. I guess I'll just keep doing that and thinking about it from time to time. Okay. Other thinking about Thank it wasn't you. much of any feel into it, right? <laughs> well, you know, thinking about what what kinds of situations maybe would thinking feel Thinking about okay. feelings is <clears throat> way off the track, right? <laughs> As a matter of fact, you know, that was one of the main things that my mentor, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, really practically bashed us on the head about, right? If someone would say, you know, I feel that. And she would say, I feel that is code for thinking. Mm. It's not a feeling because you could say, I feel that you're an idiot. And you see, that's not a feeling. <laughs> I see. She said, so I, she would not accept thoughts as feelings. She made a very clear distinction between them. Okay. 
And mm-hmm. singing is really about feelings, not about thinking about feelings, but really about <laughs> expressing them. Right. Okay. Well, that might be the heart of the challenge right there. Right there. Yeah. <laughs> All right. It's always good to be challenged. Yes, it is. Thanks so Thank much. Thank you Susan. so much for sharing so much of yourself with us tonight. <laughs> of course. Okay. Have a good night. Bye. Good blessings. Bye. Bye, Susan. <laughs> Bye-bye. All right. I'll remind everyone listening, if you have a question for Susan, please press 1 to let us know that you would like to come live on the line. We have two callers with questions right now, and our next caller is calling from the 773 area code, from the 773. Hi, Susan. Hi. What's up tonight? uh there are two things that I've recently been experiencing that I'd like to ask for your advice on. Um, the first is what I believe to be sciatic nerve pain, which has been going on for many years. And the second is a case of mono that I started experiencing severe symptoms with last. So first on background. A case of and- mono, did you say? Yeah. Mononucleosis. Yes. Okay. So... What hasn't worked in terms of relieving your sciatic pain? This is pain usually on the outer part of the leg, often feeling like flashes of lightning or heat waves running up and down the leg from the hip to the ankle or sometimes just part way. Is that a pretty good definition of what you're feeling? Um, I think it starts up in my neck, and I think that a lot of it also comes from scoliosis that I've had since I was very young, but it feels like nerve pain because it starts at the top of my neck on the, the right side of my neck next to my spine, and then there are several shooting pain points that are like very sharp pains that go down my back to my lower back, and then they shoot into my leg, into the bottom of my foot, and they also go into my arm and hand and make it hard for me to hold things with my hand when I have really bad flare-ups and um, just make it harder for me to move my fingers. Mm-hmm. So um, have you, what have you rolled out? Sorry? The symptoms are somewhat like multiple sclerosis, although in multiple sclerosis, you expect to see it in more evenly difficult on both sides. Um, The symptoms are um, somewhat like a brain tumor, which would be very much one-sided. The symptoms could arise from... Uh, an actual mechanical problem within your spine. If it starts at your neck, it would probably be up in the cervical part of the spine. A chiropractor might be able to tell you what's going on with that. Mm-hmm. It's, this is certainly far more involved than sciatica, which is restricted to the leg, so far as I know. Okay. Okay. So um, it may be that something else is happening. Okay. 
Yeah, I And you said this has been going on for years? Yes. Um, it started getting worse about three years ago. My scoliosis has been almost my whole life, so um, I'm 21 years old right now, and um, I've had scoliosis since I was like five or six, and I wore a back brace for it, mm -hmm. um, but the the pain that goes into my hand and into my legs um, started about three years ago. And why do you connect it um, with your scoliosis, which I'm thinking you don't have anymore? Um, I do still have a slight curve and scoliosis. The um, In the past, there was more just... Um, I think muscle pain in on the upper right side of my back that like sometimes and, would have and what, some. And what physical things do you do on a regular basis to maintain a good posture and strength? I want to share. Um, I want to I, share with you first that I have a scoliosis. I have actually quite severe scoliosis. My scoliosis is so severe that my bottom rib rests on my hip bone. Hmm. I have been doing this since I was 18 on a weekly basis. I do not experience any pain from my scoliosis. Mm. I have learned everything I can from Feldenkrais and Alexander techniques about mm. wise use of myself so that I can use my body efficiently, effectively, and in a way that I manifest a life without from my body use. My 13-year-old granddaughter said to me yesterday, oh, I heard all over, I was running around the other day. And if you listen to the show often, you might know what I said to her. You two listen to the show. Either one of you know what I said if somebody's complaining about muscle pain from running around? What do I keep right next to my chair? Hypericum tincture. I said, there is some hypericum tincture. Hmm. The granddaughter of an herbalist who runs around without shoes, take your hypericum tincture. The, car, the, the, the cobbler's children have no shoes, right? So mm -hmm. <laughs> don't be the herbalist granddaughter who doesn't take herbs. Take some hypericum tincture. Are you taking hypericum tincture to help ease your muscle pain? Um, yes, I've been taking hypericum tincture. I started Eight. taking it in Good. January. Yeah. Does it have any effect on you? Yes, I think it helps. I started, it helps a lot, but I um, I started a food service job about a month ago, which I had to stop because of the pain, but it caused the pain to become very bad to the point where I was having like, spasms. I'm not sure if they were muscle spasms or just like pain reactions, but um, I would come home from work like unable to walk up the stairs and um, and just flinching a lot. Um, and I was taking a lot of the hypericum tincture, but um, it wasn't enough to, to counteract the strain from the job. Sounds like a job where you were on your feet all day. Yeah. 
probably in an environment where there was a lot of stress. Yeah. And probably in an environment where you didn't feel like you had much control. Yeah, very much. And those are, um, especially the last two, um, will lead to very high cortisol production. If we feel that there's a lot of stress around us and that we don't have any anything that we can actually actively do, then we start pumping out cortisol. And that cortisol is like poison. Mm-hmm. And it literally poisons your muscles to the point they couldn't work. Oh, wow. And so... Hypericum really helps to prevent lactic acid buildup in the muscles. If you were just working, right, like my granddaughter who's running around, she was at a dance rehearsal, not rehearsal, a dance um, recital. She was at a dance recital. And the dance recital went on, believe it or not, for seven hours. Oh, wow. And, and in between dances, the kids, the, all the kids were just running around, and then they were dancing, and so she was like, she really used herself. But all the kids acid buildup in muscles, and the can really help you deal with that, both before, during, and after. But what's going on here is not just that. This is a whole body reaction to a situation in which your body decided it was going to be killed. Well. Maybe your mind didn't think that. But your body did. And your body yeah. said, I'm just going to shut down then because there's nothing I can do about it. Mm. And it made you quit the job. Yeah. It prevented you from doing that. So we can say, bad body. Why did you interfere with me? Or we can say, thank you for showing me that I cannot handle that level of stress. Yeah. And I understand how hard it is. I remember the jobs I had at your age, and they were all very high-stress jobs. Mm-hmm. I remember the day I dropped an entire bus tub full of dishes, broke them all, and was fired. Not only did I feel awful that I broke all the dishes, but I got fired on top of it. It just seemed so wrong. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like I meant to break them. Yeah. Food service jobs are not jobs in which you're ever going to get a break. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So do some brainstorming and see if you can find find other career paths. Artist model. Copywriter. Gymnast. Reader of children's stories. What do you like to do? Yeah, I would I would love to be able to do art full time. Yeah. I always talk about my friend Melissa Harris who paints these uncomfortable paintings. The kind of painting I would not want in my living room. But that's what she paints. They're not 
bad, the great paintings. Just the same way I wouldn't want a painting of, you know, Salome with with that severed head in my living room, right? I don't want to be seeing that stuff. Thank you. And a lot of people don't want Willis's real art in their dining rooms. It's really raw. And so what she does is two months out of the year, she paints really pretty things. Almost everybody has a Melissa Harris something. You know, they're like trees with hearts instead of apples and women reaching up to them and they're verdant dancing scenes and they're all done in this wonderful stylized style that, you know, they wind up on tote bags and mugs and notebooks and all over the place. And that's how she makes a living. She says, you know, for two months out of the year, I do what everybody wants and I make a living. And for the rest of the year, I paint what I want to paint. It's not a bad trade-off. Yeah. We can all have the life that we dream of. It's within your reach. Thank you. What you could do, what I do, is I don't think about the fact that I have scoliosis. Because I find when I think about things like that, it makes it worse. Mm-hmm. And other more recent injuries, I don't think about them. Because when I do, I get kind of obsessed. I think it's kind of a human way to be. If there's something wrong, I get a little obsessed about it. And so I just don't. Unless it's something that I need to do something about, and then I do something about it. But if it's something like you have scoliosis, and you're probably always going to have scoliosis, then yeah, okay. And don't let it be the excuse. Yeah. Yeah. Let it be the fulcrum. Say, okay, I really have to take care of myself. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I bless my scoliosis every day because it made me aware from a very young age that I could not afford to slump or slouch or in any way misuse my body or I would really pay for it. Mm -hmm. And so I've grown up to a 75-year-old who stands up straight to start doing it at a very young age. Thank you, scoliosis. Yeah, I definitely need to work on that. Yeah. Yeah. Making war with our bodies is a war we can never win. So you've been recently diagnosed with a bad case of mono. Yeah. um, And it which is good because it means you don't have to do anything at all. Yeah. Yeah. I think you know, mono makes it, you really tired, right? Mm-hmm. So there you go. Yeah, and it coincided with um, me stopping working at the job. Um, like the the nerve 
pain got really bad, and then I had a fever after the last night of my my last shift of work, and then um, I wasn't able to keep down food or liquids for a week, and I ended up in the ER because I got so dehydrated, um, and like I got an IV, so that made me more able to keep down fluids. Um, and I'd like they, to stop you right. I'd like to stop you just for a moment and just mm-hmm. say in general that when we're caring for ourselves, it's very important to have reasonable time limits. And if you literally cannot get any fluid into your body at all, then you need to be at the emergency room within 24 hours of your last fluid intake. Yeah, and I went to urgent care a few times um, because I I could tell that I was getting dehydrated and I was trying to prevent the need for an ER visit but all of the doctors were very dismissive so I in the ER anyway yes Um, the whole idea of urgent care sounds so good um, but I'm not exactly sure what they really excel at certainly um, the do not excel at uh, compassion or patient interactions. Yeah. Somebody told me that she went to an emergent care facility with a terrible headache, and they told her that it was um, <laughs> all in her mind and that they would prescribe a sedative for her if she wanted it. Wow. And she no, thank you. And she has said she almost laughed until she cried because when she went back out to her car, the flower beds around the uh, the center were all full of motherwort. Hmm. And she said, okay, I get it. I'll go home and take motherwort thing to you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Are you drinking your nourishing herbal infusion? Yes, I'm drinking um, metal infusion, yeah. and I've been having some ginger tea, but I had one specific question from the ER because they um, they did a blood test and they said that my um, my liver was overactive and they told me to stop taking the, the hypericum tincture. They also prescribed me... Zofran for nausea, and so um, I just wanted to ask if I should keep taking the hypericum tincture anyway. Um, and also, I said I was. I think that I was pretty clear that what's been going on with you is not going to be resolved by hypericum. Mm-hmm. That it's for simple muscle stress from overactivity, and what appears to be on with you is a very poisonous charge of cortisol, which is having a lot of effects on your body. So there's no particular need to take the hypericum. Um, And again, your liver is probably overactive because there's so much cortisol circulating in your blood. And unfortunately, the medical literature only makes references to herbs when they're dried and powdered and in capsules. And dried powdered hypericum is awful for the liver. Mm. 
And so all they know about hypericum is dried powdered hypericum. They have really no idea what the tincture does. Mm. Ginger tea is a nice choice. But when you say you're drinking nettle infusion, does that mean you're not drinking linden infusion? Um, no, I haven't had any linden infusion. Does that mean you're not drinking red clover infusion? Um, no. No, it doesn't. It means you are drinking red clover? Oh, um, no, I haven't been drinking it. Have you been drinking Oatstra? Um, I've had a little bit of Oatstra. How do you get a little bit? Um, I have a friend who's an herbalist gave me a little bit, but I don't have my own. I'm not sure what you mean. She gave you a little bit of oat straw infusion, but you can't afford to buy oat straw? Oh, no. I I just haven't bought it yet. Straw helps to clear cortisol and to calm down your tendency to overproduce cortisol. Okay. Linden is, in my mind, one of the world's best anti-inflammatories and will probably do far more to relieve the pain and distress that you're feeling than any other herb at this point. Okay. So when I ask if you're drinking nourishing herbal infusions, it's plural, which means are you drinking Linden one day, nettle another day, oat straw another day, comfrey leaf another day, and red clover another day. And are you using a scale to weigh out one ounce to go in your quart of boiling water? Yes, you're using a scale? Um, I haven't been yet. I still... Then you're not need... making nourishing herbal infusions. You're not drinking nourishing herbal infusions. A cup of nettle tea has about 5 milligrams of calcium. A cup of nettle infusion has about 250 milligrams of calcium. And that's just mm -hmm. one thing. If you want to mess around with teas, it's all right. It's hard to do herbal medicine really wrong, but nourishing herbal infusions can make a big difference. And you have to weigh out the herb. There's just no way around it. I've been making nourishing herbal infusions in years. And I weigh up the earth every okay. time. I would never make an infusion without weighing out the herb. Mm -hmm. It's step one, weigh out an ounce of herb. Step two, boil a quart of water. Step three, combine them in a jar. Put a lid on it and let it sit for four hours or overnight. And if you don't have a jar, throw the herb in the pot. Let it come to a boil, turn the fire off, clamp a lid on it, and let it sit there for four hours or overnight. But step one is what? What's the first step? Weigh out. Weigh out. Weigh one ounce of herb out. And especially linden and especially oat straw, and especially red clover, and especially comfrey. Nettle's great. I love nettle. But don't be a Johnny One Note. Start using them all, okay? Okay. All right. And I'd like you to call me back in four to six weeks. Will you do that? Yes, I will. Great. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you so much. All righty.
Dream blessings. Good night. Goodbye. Thank you. All right, and we have about 13 minutes before our guest is with us tonight. And we have one caller that has pressed one uh, to let us know they have a question. And you are calling from the 908 area code. From the 908, you are live with Susan. From New Jersey. Hey, Carol. Hey. Oh, that was, you're beautiful with the, in the session. It was so, so healing. You're, you're amazing and wonderful. Oh, oh, thank you, Carol. What a beautiful moon we have tonight, that little fingernail of oh. a moon, huh? Oh, I have to go back outside when I came in. Go back I outside. Re- really pretty hanging there. Oh, oh, great. Oh, wonderful. So um, I was going to ask you um, um, if you would um, share some of the tinctures that you personally take. I know you mentioned the um, the the Hawthorn. That would be one. Yes. About 15 years ago, I did a show for my HealthyLife.net radio show. And I did a show about Hawthorne. Each month on HealthyLife.net radio, I feature one herb. I have an hour show. And I have news notes, and I feature an herb. And then I have a few other things that I do on the show. And so I was listening to myself talking about Hawthorne, and I kept saying, Hawthorne for the aging heart. And at the end of the show, you know, I said goodbye, da-da-da, and we closed off all the recording equipment and everything. And I put the phone down, and I thought, Hawthorne for the aging heart, are you listening up? Guess what? You're 60. That's an aging heart. (laughs) So I started taking a dropper full of Hawthorne tincture once a day. Oh, wonderful. Now, when I went into the hyperbaric treatment, when I had my first hyperbaric oxygen therapy treatment 10 weeks ago, I went into the tube with normal blood pressure, and I came out of the tube, and my blood pressure was like 178 over 100. I said, what? And they said, yeah, this can do that to you. And I'm like, holy smokes, and that you had to have... Um, you know, your heart tested before they thought you were going to. And I'm like, wow, I see what's going on. So now I take a dropper full of Eagle Song's Hawthorne Exil- Ex- Elixir, which is a leaf flower and Hawthorne berries. And I also, later on in the day, take a dropper full of Hawthorne berry tincture. So hers is made, I think, from the fresh plants, and mine's made from the dried plants, so I get both of those. I also, because of the stress on my heart from being in the tube, um, have been taking more motherwort. I've been taking a dropper of uh. motherwort um, in the morning, and if the day before I've had a high pressure when I come out of the tube, and this highest it's been is 138, I'll take a little passiflora as well. And with those three allies, most of the time I come out of the tube with my blood pressure lower than when I went in. Oh, right. Now, I completed my last treatment, my 50th treatment, yesterday. And so I will probably stop taking Passiflora. And I will, I already have, cut down from a dropper full of motherwort to five drops of motherwort. I will continue taking Hawthorne, and I will alternate. One day I will take my tincture, and one day I will take Eagle Song's Elixir. Okay. 
So I amped that up because I had a specific need, and I could see that need. I could see the direct effect of those tinctures that I was taking. And since my blood pressure is generally low and generally pretty stable, there's no need for me to continue to take those remedies. I'm not stressing my heart at this point. Right. I've been taking dandelion root tincture, a dropper full a day, for the past, 13 months or from the day they discharged me from the hospital until now because I was in no state to keep them from giving me bad drugs. My body deserves all the support and help that it can get to deal with any damage caused by those drugs. Perhaps worse yet. It's been difficult for me to find a way to moderate my pain enough to not have to take a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory. So virtually every day of the past year, I have indeed taken a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory. About two weeks ago, I got this idea that I should get in touch with a hypnotist and that a hypnotist could hypnotize me into feeling less pain or no pain. Oh, brilliant. I went so far as to check out the local area, and there's a hypnotist in Woodstock, and there's one in Socrates, and there's one in Kingston. There's (laughs) places rife with hypnotists. And I took down their names and their phone numbers, and that's as far as I went. The next morning, I woke up almost pain-free. And I said, look at that. You hypnotized yourself while you were asleep. (laughs) Wonderful. So I've just been keeping it up. And now I'm taking a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory about once every three days. Oh, wow. And now I am taking more of my other pain medications because I thought, give me all the hypnotists. That's great hypnosis. That's great. But, you know, back when you were really in a lot of pain before the surgery, Susan, you were taking a lot more CBD. Why don't you just up the amount of CBD? So it used to be a little CBD, like 5 to 10 drops of CBD oil and 5 to 15 drops of the tincture once a day. So it was a difficult day twice a day. Now I'm taking it like four or five times a day. And I, for pain control, I've been taking about four or five drops of mellow lotus every morning, and now I'm taking that two or sometimes three times a day. And I've also been taking a few drops of philopendula, tincture of the flowering top of philopendula, omeria. And I've been taking that more frequently, too, not just once in the morning, but several times throughout Mm. the day. Oh, bless you, bless you. Mm-hmm. So as my goals and desires and needs change, what I take changes. Yes, yes. I've put myself through a lot from my first oh. cancer diagnosis in May of 2017, four years ago. And so I take some Shisandra tincture mm. on a daily basis. Right now I'm using tincture from dried Shisandra because I used up all the tincture I made from my own fresh Shisandra berries, but I'm hoping that there's going to be a lot of Shisandra berries this fall and I'll be able to make myself a nice oh. tincture from Shisandra. Oh, and um, 
You know, Shisandra is said to be the only herb that revitalizes all three energies. Oh, mm, all three energies. The body energy, the soul energy, and the spirit energy. Wonderful. And because I grow it and because I love it, um, it's a wonderful adaptogenic ally for me. Um, oh. if, if I run out of Shisandra, I'll take a Luthero, which is another mm-hmm. wonderful adaptogen that I get on very, very well with. During the roughest part of my journey, I was taking a tiny amount, two or three drops of ginseng on a daily basis, but I haven't felt that I needed that. Right. I'm feeling, I'm feeling like I have a lot of stamina. Carol, I actually had a kind of aha moment the other day, and oh. I realized that I'm having so much trouble with the insurance, being willing oh. to pay for my treatment because I'm already healthier than the insurance accepts as healthier. It's healthy, right? Right. Like, as far as they're concerned, I'm healed enough to sit in front of the TV and click the remote control and maybe walk out to the mailbox once a day. And as we know, Susan is never going to be satisfied with that kind of life. No. She's going to be traipsing around the woods barefoot running after the goats. Yes. So I demand a really huge amount from my body, and I'm not going to say, wow, you know, I'm healed when I'm not fully functional yet, but I understand that my fully functional is so far beyond their conception Mm. of healthy that they can't even imagine what I'm talking about. Mm, Bless you. Mm. So it helps sometimes to get the other other point of view and to, to settle down a little bit and to see, you know, why there's a conflict. Yes. Not that the yes. insurance is against me. They just don't really get what I get about health. Oh, wow. Oh, bless you. So yeah, that leaves me free to do all kinds of other things. I'd like to take herbs. Yeah. Let me think for a moment. Shisandra, dandelion, motherhood, hypericum. I take oh, yeah. a dropper full of hypericum most mornings. And if I need another dropper full in the evening, you know I take another dropper full. And, and that's for what, Susan? The hypericum? That helps to relieve muscle pain from overexertion. Okay. Beautiful. And because I'm still recapturing nerve sensation... Mm-hmm. On the left side of my lower body, um, I haven't mm-hmm. talked about it much. But the the must the butt cheek muscle, the one you look at, the pretty one, the one that's like <laughs> round, and you say, "Ooh, that's a nice ass." That one, like the Maximus gluteus maximus. Oh, that one on my left side um, was not firing when I got into the surgery. And I had been working, assiduously working, 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 and getting all oh, of the underlying muscles to fire. And we have finally gotten a twitch oh. from the Maximus. Mm. Wonderful. So Hypericum is helping nerves regrow, reattach, mm. and get back in business. Oh, brilliant. Yes, Susan. Mm. We we appreciate you so much and how you give 
throughout all this, and and congratulations on the fifty treatments of hyperbaric. I said to I said to Dr. Lloyd, I said, okay, now I'm off a cliff. I said, if I drink a cup of coffee, you know, for the past ten weeks, and I suddenly didn't have coffee, I'd be crashed. She said, no, actually, you get a carry for about two weeks afterwards. You'd feel better and better and better for two weeks. I'm like, I'm all for it. Good. I'll feel better and better and better. Oh, 50 treatments. <laughs> Congratulations. We honor you. We salute you. We salute your <laughs> commitment, your dedication, your perseverance, your your brilliance to find that treatment and know what you needed. <laughs> oh, love to you. Love. We love you. You know, it was it was charm. It was charm that my physical therapist looked up and said, smacked yourself in the forehead and said, why haven't I sent you to the loop center? It's ten steps away. Oh. Literally, it's oh down goodness. a flight of stairs, down a little passageway, and around the corner, and there's the wound center. It's a freestanding building because they have oxygen in there, and if it blows, they don't want to blow the hospital up. <laughs> <laughs> oh. And where I go for physical therapy is a uh, reconfigured house. It's just like somebody's big house of like, I don't know, six bedrooms upstairs, downstairs, big house. And so that's recon- reconfigured into therapy rooms. So, so neither of the places that are actually in the hospital, thank goodness. Yes, thank goodness. Well, I, I realize it's it's nine o'clock, and I just have okay, deeper, Carol. We better get going then. Thanks for your call. Yeah. Love you lots. Appreciation. Love you more. Love you. Love you. One, 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 one. And I welcome oh. Forest Rivers writer, teacher, and speaker, who. Blitz his time between the beautiful Blue Ridge Mountains of North Carolina and the Colorado Rockies. His personal journey of awakening began at the age of 30 on an awe-inspiring trip to Maui, Hawaii. It was there on that enchanted island where the profound healing power of the earth spoke through to his heart and helped him overcome a difficult period in which Oops, he was abusing alcohol. After returning home from that transformative experience, Forrest became interested in the spiritual traditions of the Far East and began to immerse himself in the teachings of Buddha and Hinduism and in Taoist mystic teachings. And he took the pen name Forest Rivers in honor of the earth and her profound healing power today. Forrest is a teacher of meditation and has started meditation gatherings at each of the schools that he has taught at during his more than a decade-long run as a community college professor. Today, Forrest spends a great deal of his time guiding others to look within and to become the best version of themselves that they can. In the very near future, it's his dream to start a wilderness retreat center that focuses on the spirit of service and inner work. Forest Rivers is the author of two books, The Hippie Revival and Collected Writings, I think that's one book, as well as COVID-19 and Humanity's Spiritual Awakening, and I think that's the second book. Welcome to the show, Forest Rivers, and if I got it wrong on the books, tell us right. Oh, you did great. No, you're great. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me tonight. I'm well, very, uh, very great, grateful to join you. Yeah. Yes. 
you wanted to talk a book about humanity's spiritual awakening. How did that come about? So uh, when we all went into into lockdown uh, back last March, I noticed that there was a lot of uh, you know negativity in in the that was being covered in the media. There was a lot of fear, anxiety, and very real suffering, uh, understandably. And I just wanted to provide kind of a counter narrative uh, that we could use this event for our own, um, you know, inner growth and evolution. And so I decided to start writing about how this event could be used for our own evolution from a multitude of perspectives. Uh, You know, I looked at, um, you know, from the standpoint that it's, it would help us overcome our fear of death from the standpoint that it would lead many of us to search for greater meaning in our lives. Uh, that we might have more gratitude. Oh, yeah. Are you on a cell phone? I'm on a phone. Yeah, am I not coming in clear? Yeah, you're breaking up like crazy. I'm getting about every third word. Oh, no. Um, I'm breaking up pretty bad? Yeah, you're breaking up pretty bad. If you're on a cell phone, maybe you could move closer to the tower or <laughs> if maybe oh, there's yeah. a landline. Uh, or... Yeah, I I, uh, I thought I would have okay service right here. Um, I'm so sorry. Am I coming in clear now? That's, that's a little bit better. Okay. I could hear all of that. Okay. I'm so sorry. I got all those words. Okay, fantastic. Are we good now if I stay right here? Okay, let's see if that works. Okay, so... Are you speaking? Uh, okay, yes. Yeah, can you, you can hear me okay now? I think it's a little better, yeah. Okay, it's a little better. So, uh, yeah, I I, uh, I wrote the book really to just offer a uh, counter-narrative to that being pushed by the media, which was uh, more about fear and anxiety. Uh, and I wanted to say that, hey, you know, we could use this event to really awaken ourselves uh, from a spiritual standpoint. Do you have a specific plan for how we awaken ourselves? Oh, oh what's that? I'm sorry, did you answer? First? Are you there? Hello. Hi, hi. Hmm, are you there, Sarah Ellen? Have I been disconnected? No, I am here. Um, you are here. Okay. So you and yeah. I are still connected, and Forrest has Forrest's Forrest signal has appeared. Yes, Forrest's his signal has disappeared, and now his call has, in fact, dropped off of the dashboard. All right. Okay. Hopefully he will call back. Yes. Uh, yes. If you're were you, were you able to hear him? Was I on, the only one having a, trouble hearing him, or were you having trouble too? I was having trouble. It sounded like he was kind of underwater and cutting in and out. Yeah. Okay. That's pretty much what I was hearing too. Right. Yep. I don't see him calling back in yet. Mm. 
All right. It one of the reasons that I really enjoy so much being out alone with the goats and goat watch is I think what what Forrest wants to talk about. And that is when you actually give yourself an opportunity to be alone in nature without thinking that you have to be reading or writing or producing or doing anything at all, but just giving yourself permission to be the way the trees be, the way the goats be, the way everything in nature is just being. And when you finally get yourself off the hook, it's really amazing. Yeah, so Forrest is back with us, hey, I believe, Forrest. I'm, I'm right. back with you, Susan. Can you, Susan, can you hear me now? I think I should yes. come in clear now. Very Fantastic. clear now. Fantastic. Okay. So I'm back. I got, I'm, I'm, to your listeners, I'm so sorry. I have my, uh, I have a good spot where my, my reception is. Uh, I live up in the mountains, so sometimes it gets a little bit spotty. So I, I my sincere apologies. Uh, so you had asked you had asked the question, how do I, uh, how do people awaken uh, during this time? And uh, one one big thing for me, I think, is uh, meditation practice. That has been an absolutely essential uh, practice. I think that we need is is meditation. Also, more time spent in uh, in the natural world. Uh, is another uh, key key element we need. The more time that we can spend connecting to the earth. Uh, also, I, I have a whole chapter in the book about creative expression and the need to be able to and the need to be able to express ourselves, whether it's through art, music, writing. Uh, those are all things that we can do on a day-to-day level that can help us uh, awaken during these otherwise difficult times. Yes, while you weren't with us, um, I took the liberty of saying what I think that Forrest is telling us is that if you give yourself permission to be alone in nature without needing to do anything, but simply allow yourself to be, that miracles happen. Miracles absolutely happen. Absolutely, Susan. When When you take time to be in solitude, when you take time to self-reflect through being in nature, through engaging in meditation. That's where the miracles happen. And that's where you can turn suffering into wisdom or suffering into love. And we desperately need that wisdom and that love in today's world. When I was writing my most recent book, Abundantly Well, and I was looking for a scientific validation of meditation, I ran into a very thorny problem. And that is there are a lot of different things that go on under the term meditation, some of which are really so different that it's hard to believe the same term is used for them. Could you say a little more about what you mean by meditation? Uh, so the idea, what I mean by meditation is uh, the the process of turning inwards and focused 
contemplation. And that can be focused, and that step focused contemplation is on the inner self. So I look at it as, as turning inwards, the process of turning inwards, and also listening to signs from the universe. So it's a, it's a process of, of combined with, with active inward listening. That's how I've always understood meditation. So when you say inward contemplation, that would mean uh, working with a mantra? Absolutely. I mean, I think, I think working with mantras is absolutely one of the most effective practices, not only for quieting the mind, but then quieting the mind and opening one's heart. Mantra, I, I would say, is one of the most profound forms of meditation. In fact, I, that's an exercise I do every day uh, is mantra practice. Um, and I also think that meditation is an art of listening. It's about quieting one's mind to be able to receive messages from the universe as to your purpose and, and as to your connection to a higher power, whatever, however you conceive of that higher power. Isn't it interesting that you, who recognize the earth as your healer, still fall for the idea that the power is higher than you? Yeah, it's, it's not uh, lower than you. It's under your feet, Forrest. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't have to be. It's yeah, not it a higher be, power. It's a lower power. Yeah, I mean, I'd actually, to be more, to be even more accurate, I think it transcends both higher and lower. I don't. I, I don't agree with you absolutely. But if we're going to go higher, then I'm going to, I'm going to hold the fort for lower because that's where Mama is. Yeah, the Earth. The Earth. I mean, you yeah, want to talk it, about? I, I I completely agree with you. If you want to talk about uh, the the most transcendent power of all, it's the planet, and you know it's it's, it's Mother it's Mother Earth. And you know, in the book, I talk about. I have whole, I have a whole chapter actually about um, if the Earth could speak, what would she say to us about COVID, and what would she say to us during these times? And basically, with the Earth what the earth I think would say to us is you better recognize me. You better recognize my power. I am your, I am your most profound and significant source to the divine. In fact, I am the divine. And I think, I think as we had more time to contemplate and we had more time to reflect Susan over this last year, hopefully out of all of the things we've reflected on is, is, is our relationship to the planet. And if we can't get right with the planet, how are we supposed to get right with ourselves? That is the most profound yeah. source of connection. Yeah, I, very, I, very deep. Uh, very deep. There. I'm really curious, if you're willing to share, about what happened with you on Maui. Absolutely. So uh, when, I, when I went off to Maui, uh, I was a mess, Susan, and I have no problems telling the listeners this. In fact, I think many might be able to relate. You know, I've, I've been going through a, uh, you know, a tough time, you know, and um, I, you know, I, I, at that time I was definitely abusing alcohol a lot and, you know, it was what it was. It was a period of my life. And, and I went to, I had a period in Maui and it was really significant for me. Um, for the first time, I can honestly say, when I went to that island, 
I I came away fully believing in God or the divine or oneness, whatever name you want to call it, that underlying transcendent reality. Um, and you know what brought me there, of course, was the earth. The earth was woke me up. That week I was in Maui, I was so overcome by the natural beauty. And I was so overcome in awe of what I was a part of. Because remember, right, Susan, we're all children of the earth. That's what we are. We are we are of the earth. I mean, many indigenous tribes literally have creation stories about how they emerged from the earth. That is who we are. And for some reason, even the, Christian, up until, even the Christians say we're made of dirt. We're made of dirt. The Christians say we're made of dirt. Uh, you know, you go and read the Tao Te Ching, and every reference they use, or that that uh, Lao Tzu uses, is a reference to nature in terms of understanding wisdom and balance and tranquility, it all goes back to nature. And, you know, as I'm speaking to you right now, I, I literally was just, just hiking in the mountains. So, I mean, it's, for me, it's my deepest spiritual connection is being with the earth. And when I went to Maui, Susan, something happened. I mean, it just clicked. I remember I was overlooking the ocean. I was standing on the edge of a cliff. And I just felt for the first time in my life, wow, like what am I a part of? I'm, I'm a part of a, a, a reality that is so much greater than myself, yet I am everything and I am nothing. I am all at one with it. And I felt the waves crashing against the edge of the shore. You know, I felt, I saw the trees swaying, the tropical plants that were next to me, and the smell of the ocean lifting. And I remember just thinking, uh, not thinking, but feeling that this is God, this is goddess, this is divine. And at that moment, I, I don't know, I was taken outside of myself. And for the next five, that happened on my second day in Maui. And for the next uh, eight days that I was there, I just saw the world through a whole different pair of eyes. And every excursion I had out into nature it just brought me close, felt like it brought me closer and closer to God or the source. And when I came home, I continued to deepen my relationship with the natural world. And I eventually couldn't stand living in the city anymore. And I moved off to the mountains with my partner. Um, and, you know, my last seven years have been spent, you know, going back and forth between the Smoky Mountains of North Carolina and the Rocky Mountains. Of Colorado. The sweet Smoky Mountains who love you and they will take tender care of you, and the Rocky Mountains who will kill you in an instant. Oh my gosh, Susan! You know it's funny. I, I wrote a I wrote a piece back in the day. It was called uh, uh, Two Ranges, One Teacher," about how the Rockies were basically the masculine energy, and that the Smokies signified more of a feminine energy. They hug you. They they, they, uh, you lay down your roots. You go there for, for contemplation and wisdom. And the Rockies, they test you. You know, it's like it's, it's the adversity. They'll spit you up and they'll, they'll chew you up and spit you out. You know, like you just said, they'll, they'll kill you. You know, and, but both have really contributed to my journey. And I'm grateful for the counterbalance of, of, of both energies. I've I've hiked in both mountain ranges, so I I speak from my feet up. Absolutely. And, I, and I've hiked fourteen thousand feet peaks in the Rockies. Isn't it amazing? I mean, it's 
it's a nothing, it's a nothing like it. The Sangre de Cristos, the Rockies, brilliant. Unbelievable. Unbelievably brilliant. brilliant. You better be aware of every step and every breath. Every step and every breath. That should be the mantra when you're there. And the Smokies hug you, though. They're like this like temperate rainforest. These, these I call it just the grandmother mountains. And they caress you, and they, 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 they speak softly to you. Oh, it's, it's beautiful. I, I feel very connected when I'm out here. And did geologists say that actually that my cat skills are somehow connected to those Smokies? They are. Yep. The Appa, the, the the Appalachians are 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 directly tied to the Catskills. It's incredible. Yeah. Yep. And it's that and same feeling here. These mountains will put you to sleep, and you wake up a hundred years later. Yes. Yes. That's how the Smokies feel, and I love the fact, by the way, that your show is is dedicated to Mama Earth. That is that is the that is the that is the root of our being. And thank you for being out there and writing a book and being a voice that is calling people back to the earth as they open their doors and step back out again. They're thinking a lot and a little worried about the other people. And what I see is that more people are actually feeling a little more comfortable in nature because they're a little mm-hmm. worried about other people. Or as my granddaughter said, how do I know that the who isn't wearing a mask really has been vaccinated? Yeah, well, you know, the answer to that is you don't have to even worry about that if you go out into nature. You know, you go out exactly. into the woods. You go out into the ocean. There's not, there's no... Go walk through the park. You're outside. Doesn't matter who's vaccinated and who's not. You know, you're, you're, you're. Uh, I don't mean it like that. You know what I mean? Like more. You don't have to live with fear. You know, you're, you're out. Don't have nature. to live with fear. You can go outside. You can go outside, and you know what, Susan? I hope during COVID, how empowering was that? Right? You know, here we are. Yeah. We're afraid to be around other people. And the solution to all of our madness and all our anxiety and all of our fear and suffering is right outside. It's all out there. And, you know. It's right inside and it's right outside. We're sitting outside. I just want want to let you know that the fireflies have just twinkled on. Oh, they're they're beautiful. They're uh, out here. We have synchronicitous fireflies and they. They they go off at the same time, and it's one of the most it's one of the natural wonders uh, that that happens every mid June, and it absolutely just tickles me with joy. I love it. Me too. That's why I wanted to share it with you because we've been sitting out here watching the last lingering light from the sky and the clouds coming in and all the play of that, and then just as it's starting to really get, you know, just a, just the tiniest, tiniest bit of afterglow left in the sky, and now the fireflies are saying, it's our time, watch us, watch us. Yeah. You um, have had some special teachers in your life. Do you want to talk about any of them? Yeah, yeah, so I, I talk about it in the book. Uh, one of them, if we're keeping to the theme of the earth, uh, one of them, which, by the way, I'm very happy keeping to the theme of the earth. Uh, you know, w- w- one of the most 
I guess, profound teachers, and I, I talk about it in the, in the book, uh, was a, a Cherokee elder woman that uh, my partner Rose and I uh, met together. Uh, and she's a, a, a Cherokee healer. Beloved, she's a beloved woman, one of only, oh, I don't want to get this wrong, one of only three or four beloved women, uh, you know, remaining in the entire tribe, to the best of my knowledge. And she's a, uh, she's she's kept alive, played an instrumental role in keeping alive the uh, Cherokee syllabary, their language. She trains uh, teachers in, in, in teaching the youth their language. She translates children's books into Cherokee, uh, and she's been an absolute uh, unbelievable teacher just in life, you know, and she lives a life of service and is truly one of the most humble, rooted people I've ever met, and uh, she, uh, her whole existence is rooted in the earth. I mean, I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with her. Are you allowed allowed to share her name? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Of course. Uh, her name. Her name is uh, Myrtle Driver. Uh, she's absolutely, absolutely beautiful, inspiring woman. And uh, so it's, it is so. It is so wordlessly priceless when someone like that enters our life. Oh, I mean, even just even to spend five minutes with her as a beloved woman is capable of giving you information that may take you years to really understand. Oh, I mean, the amount of wisdom that that woman holds is something I know for a fact that I I will never, ever approach in this lifetime. You know, she's got a a, a level of wisdom that is just, you know, from a combination of, 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 of well, you know, I often, I often somewhat jokingly say that it takes seven lifetimes to become an herbalist. Yeah, you know, she's a true herbalist. I think that's what you're that's, recognizing that's what is the seven lifetimes of effort that she's put in to have the ability to share what she shares. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and, and you know, since your show is centered on that, I would say this. That, yeah, she's a true herbalist, all right, like big time. I mean, transcends herbalist, you know, just, you know, is the earth, and that's all I can really say, but I talk about her in the, uh, in the book, and she's an incredibly, uh, you ask teachers, you know, yeah, she's taught me a lot, and I, I think speaking for my partner, Rose, too, she's, she's been one of the most instrumental people, like, for sure, in our lives that we've, you know, met, and, uh, you know, in terms of, uh, Teachers who aren't, you know, I've never met, but someone I feel like I should mention is is, is Ram Das. He's been a absolutely instrumental. I've never met him personally, but he is, uh, you know, one of the most instrumental teachers in my life. Uh, and I just want to throw that out there too. When you ask teachers, uh, he's been very impactful. Because um, he basically did. He basically did the the same kind of dip you did. What what's Buddhism? What's Hinduism? What's happening in Taoism? And then oh yeah, but he he did it. He did it. Expressed it as uh, an American. He expressed it as an American, but man, that that 
he he was fully. I really believe, like when he, and I, don't, I I use this word like not like I don't use this word. Uh, I don't like to throw it around. Like that man was truly enlightened. Like there's no ifs and buts about it. He he uh, he really had a li- his life became service to, to others, you know, and he truly had no agenda. No, you know, a lot of spiritual teachers, not all course, but there are many, many sincere and beautiful spiritual teachers, but a lot of spiritual teachers are, um, you know, I don't want to say phony, but lacking kind of like a authenticity. That guy walked the walk. I mean, I mean, just unbelievable teacher and, and everything I've read by him, everything I've listened to him, he's been incredibly profound. And of course, if you ask like teachers, you know, I, I mentioned Virgil Fiber, I mentioned Ram Das. You know, in the same breath, truly they are. You know, I would, I would also say, like, you know, the Earth, right, has been, and I, I don't mean that to sound cliche, but the Earth has been uh, obviously uh, an incredibly influential teacher for me to put it, to put it mildly. So, I mean, all you, you know, this is I to do stuff out into nature and. Take your pick. What what lesson you know the earth is going to convey? You know, one one day it's you know humility. You know, the next day it's compassion. The next day it's wisdom. The next day it's wonder. The next day it's balance. You know, (laughs) you 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 name it. Uh, The earth will teach that to you. So. Forrest, I apologize for being negligent and not asking sooner. Um, how can people get your book? Oh, yeah. Uh, people can get the book, uh, COVID-19 and Humanity Spiritual Awakening. You can get it on Amazon. Uh, it's available in both paperback and Kindle edition. And you can also get it on Barnes & Noble. It's also available on uh, Kindle
know to encourage all your listeners to establish a personal relationship with, with the earth, with nature. And I would say that that is one of the greatest healing sources that we can turn to in these times. When everything on the outside is chaotic, nature is our one constant. And again, we're, she's our greatest teacher, and I would argue our greatest source of divinity. And I would just encourage all of the listeners, if they haven't already, to establish a personal relationship. That's what I would leave everybody with. Establish a personal relationship with the planet, with the Earth. Yeah. Yeah, such absolutely. important, such important and deep words. It's Forest Rivers you've been listening to. And his book, COVID-19 and the Spiritual Awakening of Humanity. Thank you so much, Forrest, for helping me and all of us to reweave the healing cloak of the ancients. And thank you, Sarah Ellen and Justine and Carol and everybody else out there listening for helping me to restore herbal medicine to its rightful place as people's medicine. Look around you. Green blessings and fireflies are all around. Good night. Green blessings, everybody. Thank you.